Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times, and especially feels like the end times, at least as we record this. I don't know when this is going to come out, but we just had the hottest month on record. Maybe we've just had the hottest month on record uh, when you hear this in October. I don't fucking know. I'm your host. I'm one of your hosts. I'm your only host today, Margaret Kiljoy. And this week... We're going to be talking about something that I've wanted to know more about for a long time, although I'm absolutely terrified to have anything to do with it besides on an informational and when the apocalypse comes level, because this week we are talking about distillation, the thing that should not be anywhere near as illegal as it is or complicated legally. It's not always illegal. It's complicated legally. And we're going to be talking about distillation. We're going to be talking about distillation of alcohol for like, um, well, I guess all of it's distillation of alcohol, but we're going to be talking about it from a like medical point of view and a like having a good time point of view and obviously don't do any crimes that you can get caught for and this podcast is a proud member of the channel zero network of anarchist podcasts and here's a jingle from another show in the network bop, bop, bop. are you tired of listening to western experts talking how the world works is another portion of liberal analysis of the uprising makes you fall asleep? Well, then check Elephant in the Room, an anarchist radio show from European Dresden, where we interview activists who are participating in struggles around the world. Elephant in the Room is a proud member of Channel Zero Network. You can find our show on your favorite podcast platforms, CZN website, or somewhere on the internet. From activists? For activists. Okay, we're back. And if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then just a little bit of your background about what we're going to be talking about, about distillation. Yep. Uh, my name is Shane. Uh, pronouns are he, him. Uh, I'm a hobby distiller. I've uh, been doing it not not for that long, but I've been doing a ton of research. I've been learning a lot about it. And uh, yeah. What kind of what kind of stuff? Let's point out that you live in Canada. <laughs> where the crime is a different one, which isn't to say, I guess it's like, well, obviously you don't do any of the illegal stuff, but it seems like Canada has a very different attitude about this as the United States does. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, so where I am, it is illegal. It's mostly illegal under our tax laws because they don't want to, want you making it and selling it out of your, mm -hmm. out of your basement or whatever. Um, it's not really enforced. If you, I, I don't take my word for that. Like this is always going to be a risk, but it's not really enforced if you're just doing it for yourself. Yeah. So no, that, that makes sense. Um, is worth pointing out. I, I'm going to like reiterate this way too many times on the show mm -hmm. that the ATF in the United States has a very different attitude about home distillation, and obviously people still do it. And before we started recording, we looked it up, and it looks like um. Uh. It is federally illegal, but not every state has it illegal. And like some states, it's specifically illegal, I believe, which just gets into that weird thing in the United States where there's like some things that are federally illegal, but are actually fine state to state. Well, I believe the ATF is a federal organization. So, you know, yeah. it's still a risk if you decide to do that. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I know for my sake, like I'm literally not going to, usually I'm like, 
Like, I'm just like not actually going to end up setting up a still out of this, even though I'm like very curious about the process, just because the <laughs> the cost benefit analysis isn't going to work for me. But everyone's going to do their own cost benefit analysis. And it's w- information that I think is very practical and useful for situations in which you don't live under the United States jurisdiction, whether because you live in a different country or because the United States has a collapse, which is one of the main things that we talk about on the show. So probably no one's going to be surprised that I think that that's possible. So, that out of the way. What's distillation? Uh, basically, it's taking everything that's not alcohol out of the alcohol and throwing it away. So, you're just uh, usually heating it up, collecting the steam, cooling the steam down before it escapes your your system, and turning it mm-hmm. into liquid alcohol. So, The steam is the liquid alcohol, or the steam is the not liquid, is the everything else? The steam is the liquid alcohol. You want to, ideally, you want to collect that as it comes off your still, run it through some cold, some sort of cooling sleeve or a condenser of some kind, mm-hmm. and then collect what comes out the other end. Okay. I like whenever someone says like, and then throw the other parts away. I'm like, wait, but tell me about the other parts. Is there like, do, can you make like, if you make brandy out of wine, can you have like non-alcoholic wine at the end too, or like, is it just gross, weird shit? It's kind of gross, weird shit. There is some uses for it. Um, I believe you can. You may want to look this up if you have animals mm-hmm. before you do this. I think you can mix it with certain things to make with your animal feed to add some nutrition or some calories to that. Um, I've heard of some people doing that. I think you can. Uh, well, I know one thing you can do with it. There are certain traditions around making rum that actually keep that and put it into the next batch. Huh. Sometimes they put it in a pit and let it rot to add flavor. So be careful with that, but that is something you can do with it. So much like this has come up on the all the fermentation and brewing episodes. Like there's so much stuff that's just weird magic yeah. involved in food. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you put it in the pit to rot and that makes it taste better. And like like I remember once I, I was picking grapes for um wine at a like someone would just like paying me eight bucks an hour to pick grapes for wine or whatever at a, a vineyard. And they were, I was like, do I pick the moldy ones? And they were like, yes, that's part of the flavor. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm probably still going to drink wine, but I'm going to think more about it as I do it. Um, well, there's a lot of ahead. weird magic stuff in distilling too, actually. Yeah. Um, so like this one, one thing that the, uh, your, in your fermentation episode, the, um, the magic spoon thing reminded me, or was that, was that the bread episode? I can't remember. I don't remember. Um, there was, a th- I think this is just folklore, but there was a thing in Scotland where when a big distillery would get a new still, they didn't really mm-hmm. know how dis- how the flavor worked, all the chemistry of it yet. They would get a new still, but they wanted everything that came out to taste like the old one. So in an effort to coax the spirit out of the old still, they would beat dents into it to make it look like the old one. <laughs> Hell yeah. And it, it, that weirdly enough, that does work. It does like the shape of the still does affect the flavor. They didn't know why, but yeah. that was what they told themselves they were doing. God. It is so – I'm so glad I'm not a perfectionist. If I ever like am homebrewing or whatever, I'm not going to be like, I am going to recreate Guinness. I'm just going to be like, hell yeah, I made beer. <laughs> you I'm know? the same way. <laughs> um, okay, so like um, what are some of the things – You know, when you, when you pitched – this episode to me. I was very happy to hear from you because this is something I've wanted to talk to someone about for a while. 
you talked about how there's a couple different things that one might want to make with a still. I mean, you're making alcohol, right? But for a lot of different mm-hmm. purposes. Um, do you want to talk about what some of those purposes are? Yeah. Well, first of all, even if you're not making alcohol, and this is part of the way that stills get sold in the States and why it's still usually state by state legal to own one, mm-hmm. uh, you can make essential oils with it. You can make purified water. That's actually a huge survival benefit of having a still is being able to make distilled water. Uh, it, the alcohol can be used to make fuel, which I believe is legal in some states. Um, but uh, besides that, like I said, the fuel alcohol, alcohol for tinctures, uh, you can make any spirit you can drink, like uh, vodka, whiskey, rum, etc. cetera. Uh, you can make hand sanitizer. I know that was a big deal around the start of COVID when hand sanitizer was selling out everywhere. People mm-hmm. were... Uh, both big distilleries and some moonshiners in some areas were uh, kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying, by the way, I have a still. Here's a bunch of free alcohol to sanitize your hands with. That's cool. That makes me really happy. Like both sides. That's actually of that. one of the things that made me want to get a still was the capacity to, or the capability to be able to do that. Yeah. And the obvious reason, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, which is funny because I know that when I used to, I used to shoot tin types, and one of the stages involves uh, heating the tin type over an alcohol stove. Mm-hmm. And so, in order to buy alcohol for that, it had to be denatured. And that's when I learned that I'm going to get the different types of alcohol mixed up. Ethanol is the drinking one, and methanol is the one that you can't, or something maybe. Yeah. Um, and isopropyl alcohol is the on the other one you can't. Okay, and so denatured alcohol was alcohol that you can use as fuel but they specifically add poison to it in order to make it so that you can't drink it so that it can only be used for fuel is that that that's right so that started on prohibition you used to be able to buy ethanol by the barrel for almost nothing yeah Uh, but they started started requiring by law that you add methanol to it because people still needed alcohol Mm -hmm. for industrial purposes but you know, they added methanol specifically because it was damn near impossible to separate it out. <laughs> and it's extremely deadly as well. So we're going to save people from the vice of drinking by murdering them if they drink this and alcohol. And it murdered a hell of a lot of people. God. Thanks, Protestants, for I prohibition. Think, I think a lot of places are actually moving away from that. Um, mm-hmm. So now a lot of alcohol is denatured with bitterants instead. Those damn stamps oh, to put in air dusters. Uh, don't take that as a reason to go buy some industrial alcohol and drink it, because <laughs> I'm sure many places are still using methanol. But yeah, also it's going to taste okay. bad if you do. So okay, okay. So let's talk about like I want to talk about the non-alcohol, the non-drinky stuff first. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned, fuel alcohol. What is what do people like sell our preppers on fuel alcohol? What are you fueling with fuel alcohol well uh the first example and one of the things i thought of when i was going to get a still i do a lot of camping and mm-hmm. I, I currently use one of those isobutane stoves with the big expensive disposable isobutane tanks mm-hmm. i'm considering i haven't done it yet but i'm considering making one of those can stoves uh which is a, just a small alcohol stove that costs nothing weighs nothing to uh to replace that cooking is one big thing you can you, you you did mention using like a store bought alcohol stove for isotyping. Yeah, I believe there are alcohol engines, at least very small ones. But I don't 
know much about that. Um, okay. I, I know you can add ethanol to gasoline to make it more a little bit more efficient, but I wouldn't recommend doing that with what comes out of a home still. Yeah. Because I'm sure that whatever comes out of your home still is going to have some water in it. I wouldn't recommend combining that with gasoline. Oh, yeah. No, that sounds bad. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not like what you're going to put in your tractor, but it could be what you're cooking off of. Um, I suspect that there's ways, I suspect that there's like home heaters that can run off of it or ways to use it to heat homes, probably in very sketchy ways and possibly safer ways as well. Actually, one um, thing I'm thinking of there is mm-hmm. uh, alcohol heaters are, you can, you can actually make one with a mason jar. Um, I've heard okay. of some people uh, making them as like a mutual aid thing and giving them to uh, people who are stuck in tents during the winter. During the winter. Oh yeah, there's the ones that you're right. Where you take the copper tubing and you do a little yeah. loop, and you um, those are cool, and, and I, they're they're not fake. Like the there's this thing where people are like, take a tea light and put yeah. it under <laughs> a a pot, and now you have heated your tent. Um, mm-hmm. People have done a lot of tests about this. It is not more efficient. It's not a very good way of heating, and also it's a fire danger because the melting point, the flash point of wax is um, lower mm. than the uh, amount of heat that the terracotta pot can eventually put out. And so you can, you can start a fire that way. Um, so actually, ironically, this like, yeah, no, that's right. Heater block. I need to have them on at some point talking about how people use these things. Okay. And they're also a fire risk, but I imagine less so than a can stove going off in your tent. So, Yeah. Um, and people have made chicken wire cages and stuff for them as well. Okay. What is the like raw material that you're going to be using? Right, well, let's just talk about how you, how do you d- distill? Let's use fuel alcohol as like the, 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 the main, because it's like the neutral one, right? It's not about flavor. It's just a, yeah. let's make ethanol. So how do you make ethanol? For, for uh, making ethanol for fuel, if, if flavor doesn't matter at all, you basically want to find the cheapest source of sugars you can find. Um, mm-hmm. If you are already into home brewing, I imagine grain, like malted grain, is probably one of the cheapest sources. Okay. Um, if you don't have any any equipment for uh, dealing with grain, your best bet is probably buying the cheapest sugar you can find at a grocery store. Combining that with some yeast nutrient and some yeast, and uh, fermenting that. Okay. That's what I've. That's what a lot of people will do when they start distilling. If they're trying to make a neutral, like a vodka or a fuel or something. They'll make a, what's called a sugar wash. Mm-hmm. So sugar wash is basically just fermented sugar with no added flavoring. Yeah. And uh, well, people will add things like, like I said, nutrient. And uh, one of the more common, more popular ways of doing it, if you're trying to preserve flavor, is uh, using tomato paste as most of the nutrient. Because huh. you're adding a very little, very small amount of it, and it's not affecting the flavor when it's, when it's all said and done. When you say nutrient... I presume you don't mean nutrient for the end drinker. Is this nutrient for the yeast or something? This is nutrient for the yeast, yes. So, so they need more than much sugar like to us. Survive. They can't survive on sugar alone. Uh, but I've tried. Okay, yeah. we okay. all have. <laughs> it's so cheap. Um, you put that in a bucket, probably the biggest container you can find, with some water. Mm-hmm. Obviously, don't just try to ferment the sugars alone, mm-hmm. and uh, leave that for about a week. Um, okay. If you if you do have a lot of the home fermenting equipment like uh, hydrometers and things like that, you can get a little more scientific about it. Um, mm-hmm. I, you probably don't want to go any higher than one point zero one gravity. 
Okay. Which is because beyond that, the yeast doesn't really like to like to be there. If you uh, if you're trying to preserve flavor, don't go any higher than one point zero or one point zero zero seven. I maybe might be misremembering how to read these. Wait, but then why, when you make beer, you're like you're going way higher than one percent, right? Not one percent. Sorry, uh, when I said oh. the starting gravity, you're measuring the amount of sugar. That's when you get that little uh, uh, thermometer looking thing and you float it in your ferment. Okay. So you actually want to go to about ten to twelve percent. Okay. So you can do the math so the, to figure out how you want to get there. Okay. So the basic is the basic idea of distillation. Mm-hmm. The basic idea is you make a low alcohol thing like beer or wine or just a sugar wash. You, you make some some alcohol. Yeah. Right. And then you're concentrating it by pulling out everything that isn't alcohol out of it in the still by, I think you already said this, by evaporating, I assume alcohol is a lower evaporation point than everything else is like the reason it works or something. Um, yeah. And then it, and then you like run it through some cooling and then you end up with alcohol on the other end. That's the uh, high, high percent alcohol. Okay. So if you want to get a little more into distillation theory, it is a bit more complicated than that, but essentially, mm-hmm. yeah, it is just because alcohol boils at 70 degrees instead of a hundred. The alcohol is going to boil off. Celsius. First. Yes. Sorry. I, Great. I, no, I, we can use Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to, yeah. Especially when it comes to like, uh, anything distillation related, I tend to default to that. Yeah. Yeah. Canada is one of the kind of like the UK where we have a mix of units, but, uh, yeah. I think Celsius is better for science stuff and Fahrenheit is better for like how cold it is outside stuff personally. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're talking about uh, boiling points of liquids. So yeah, that is, I guess that's kind of made exactly for that main thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you make your sugar mash. Okay. Let's just to to run through it. You've made your sugar wash, not sugar mash, sugar wash. Now what are we, now what are you doing? Anyway, mash is usually if you're making even the grains, you'll call it a mash. But uh, okay. So yeah, after that, you will take all that and put it in your boiler. So the part of your still that's actually exposed to heat, you'll mm-hmm. seal everything up. Make sure there's no leaks. You obviously want to keep an eye on that. So one quick safety note: the most dangerous thing coming out of your still is the vapor alcohol. Ideally, you don't want any vapor coming out at any point. That's why you have the condenser to cool everything. Oh shit! Yeah, it is, because it's. Explosive. It is very it's, flammable. It's far more flammable than just a pool of liquid alcohol sitting there. So oh, shit. Uh-huh. Now, unless you are, unless you have terrible, terrible luck and you're in a closed system, it's not going to explode. Mm-hmm. But it could cause a pretty bad fire. So I keep a fire extinguisher next to my still at all times. Um, yeah. Okay. Th- anyway, so like I said, you want to seal everything up. Make sure your water is running through your condenser if you're using that kind of condenser, and turn right. on the heat. What's a, just tell me what a condenser is. So a condenser, because you don't want any steam coming out because it's hard to collect. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, all the steam will go through your condenser. The condenser will cool it all down, condense it back into a liquid and the liquid will come out of the other end. This is like the like wrapped copper pipe or some tube. Yeah. So there's a few different kinds. If you're, if you're looking at like a moonshine still, you're going to see a copper tube coiled up through a bucket. Mm-hmm. I personally, I have, I've had one of those. I hate that style because unless you're doing it something outside by a river, it's kind of hard to control how much water is going through it and oh, okay. prevent it from overflowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind I'd recommend if you're going the DIY route is a Liebig condenser. 
which is you can look up easy plans online. So you have a smaller copper pipe, a larger copper pipe on the outside of that with water running through it. Mm-hmm. So you'll have two, like an inlet and an outlet and the hose or something running through that. And that's usually enough to cool down however much steam is coming out the other end. Okay, so like the big, when people talk about distillation, right, they the big things people worry about is is the government, obviously, but then also like safety, like the food safety level of it, right? How dangerous is it to make ethanol? Are you going to go blind if you drink it? Is it safe to make fuel alcohol, dangerous to make drinking alcohol? Is it all overblown? Are there certain things that people can do? Please, whoever's listening, don't assume that you know how to do things just because you heard about a podcast. See this as like an overview and an overall interest. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, the main danger is fire safety. Uh, it's very flammable, um, especially in the olden days when they would do this on a propane fire or a wood fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you can avoid it, don't run your still over an open flame. I know your, okay. your great-grandfather probably did, but don't. So don't use the fuel alcohol to make more alcohol. <laughs> Preferably no, unless you're outside and you're anyway, away from anything flammable. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. But uh, as far as food safety goes, there is a tiny amount of methanol whenever you ferment something. Uh, the mm-hmm. methanol is the thing that makes you go blind, apparently. But the thing is, you're not getting anything out of your still that wasn't in the wine or sugar wash or beer that you put into it. Okay. There's not really any risk of methanol poisoning unless you really screwed something up with fermenting, in which case you would also get it from drinking whatever you drank, whatever you made, from, or okay. whatever you fermented. There is this myth that popped up around Prohibition because so moonshiners would make their moonshine and they would try to increase their yield a little bit by adding industrial alcohol. That is mm-hmm. where the myth of going blind and methanol poisoning comes from. It's not from people running their still incompetently. It's from people trying oh. to pass off industrial alcohol as safe. <laughs> okay. So, so like de- denatured alcohol got in the mix. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. And sometimes there was never even a still involved. It's just some unscrupulous guy bought a bunch of industrial alcohol, threw some juniper berries in it and called it gin. Okay. I'm half convinced that I'm not from where I live right now, right? I'm half convinced mm-hmm. that the person around here who um, gave me some moonshine, I'm like half convinced that they just gave me some like fucking vodka with food flavoring in it. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that bitch isn't going to fucking know the difference. Um, but, you know, I, I do. I like to think that I that they didn't do that to me. Um, and there's, a, there's a big trend of... Uh... You, you can just buy moonshine in alcohol uh, liquor stores now, but it's uh, a lot of people kind of don't consider it real moonshine because it wasn't made in a backwoods and old copper still. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, moonshine means illegally manufactured alcohol. That's very, very alcoholic. No, sorry. Back to the, like the safety thing. There is mm-hmm. one note. So a lot of people will tell you when you're running your still that the first thing you have to do is take the four shots out. And that's the first like ounce or so that comes out of your still. What's that called? The four shot? The four shots. It's, that's, okay. So that's a bit outdated. It comes from, so basically a bunch of people were dying from from methanol poisoning and mm-hmm. the moonshiners, were, the honest ones were scratching their heads trying to figure out what they were doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And so they thought, well, the methanol has a lower boiling point, so we can just take off whatever comes out first and throw that away, right? Okay. Fortunately, it's not that simple. Methanol and alcohol have very similar boiling points and they come off throughout the entire run. You're not going to get rid of all the methanol by getting rid of the first shot. Okay. But what you, so you don't really need to take four shots, but when you're, when you're distilling for drinking purposes, you're not going to drink the first little bit anyway. 
so you're going to take your cuts. So your four shots is mm -hmm. the first section of cuts. Then there's the heads, which has some acetone, some fruity esters, some nasty stuff in it that you don't really want. Mm -hmm. And you're going to throw all that away. Can um, you use it as fuel alcohol or no? Oh, yeah. You can still use that as fuel alcohol. Okay. That's right. I shouldn't even say throw it away. I, I, don't, I don't throw mine away, personally. I use it on no, the start okay. fires. Yeah, so. I'm sure it's the way people talk about it. I just have a weird, yeah. like, throw something away. Um, but I'm a hoarder. So, I mean, uh, preparedness. Okay, yeah. Yeah. No, the, the four shots thing is a bit outdated, but that is, mm -hmm. some people still do it as sort of a just in case or a superstition more than anything. But that's the, the main thing is in the heads, there are things that aren't good for you. But mm -hmm. like I said before, those things are going to be in your beer or your wine that you're fermenting anyway. Yeah. Um, the worst thing they're going to do is give you a worse hangover if you drink them. Oh, okay. That. I've always wondered why different. I've had some homebrew that has caused everyone in the room to black out. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So, and I, I've had some, I've had some homemade moonshine also that caused everyone to black out. Mm -hmm. So it was probably heads or just like poorly made or something. There's a another bit of like folklore. Uh, so there's another type of distilling you can do. This is a bit of a tangent called mm -hmm. uh, freeze uh, fractional freezing, where you take your. Uh, this is commonly done with apple cider. You mm -hmm. take your cider, you put it in the freezer, you let it freeze, you scoop out all the ice, and what's left is a higher proof, higher strength. Whoa, that's cool. So that was that's considered one of the first distilled beverages people would drink because it was called Applejack. Okay. And the hangovers from it were so bad oh. that it, they gave them its own name, Apple Palsy. <laughs> okay. Because there was no, you couldn't take cuts when now. you're doing that. Uh -huh. yeah. So okay. yeah, people would get completely sloshed on Applejack and they would they probably w woke up wishing they had methanol poisoning. So, because you've talked about how all the like methanol and acetone and all that stuff is already in what your your homemade beer, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. But it seems like maybe the distillation process, like Applejack sounds like it's kind of was giving people a worse time than the apple cider was. Is that because it's just a higher concentration, right? It's the same it's, literal yeah. amount of acetone, but there's like, it's just distilled. It's mostly because like people a, were drinking more of it and they were drinking it faster. So, if you okay. take uh, a, like a, a 500 mil or like a standard bottle of cider mm -hmm. and you drink all of that, it's not going to hurt you any less than if you distilled that and then drank everything that came out of it. Right. But, okay. you know, it's easier to get drunker on uh, on spirits than it is on cider. So. Yeah, that's true. Now, it's I, I also, one, one thing I definitely wouldn't recommend, I wouldn't recommend taking all the heads and just drinking that because then you are getting a higher concentration of the acetone and methanol and Right. So most people are, are getting rid of their heads also, and then only taking mm -hmm. the opposite tails. Uh, yeah, actually, heads. tails is the last bit. You don't really want that either. Oh. Uh, hearts is the good stuff in the middle. <laughs> oh, so when you're taking okay. your, you, you typically, when you're running a still, you'll run it into mason jars mm -hmm. or any other smaller jar or whatever you can collect a lot of. And you'll just, you'll taste as you go and you'll just swap out the jars as they fill up. And then the next day when you got a fresh palate, you'll look at everything, water it down, taste it and see where you want to make your cuts. Wait, why are you watering it down? Wait, I'm, I'm a little confused. What does take your cuts mean in this context? Take your cuts is when you figure out where your heads are, like where the nasty acetone, sickly sweet stuff is. And you water it uh, down because you don't want to be like tasting 70%. You're not going to get much out of that. Okay. So you're figuring out what's your heads, what's your mm -hmm. hearts, the good stuff. And what's your tails, which is where it starts smelling a little weird, wet dog-ish. Oh, I see. So it's not like the first third is this, the second third is this. Instead, you just like, you take all of it 
and you keep mm-hmm. it like lined up so you know what's what. Yeah. And then you're like, all right, jar three, it's starting to get a little bit less nasty. Jar five, it's smelling, it tastes good. Jar nine, it tastes bad again. Exactly. So unless you have a really well-established recipe and you have a very consistent still, mm-hmm. you're never going to base it on how much has come through or what temperature it's at or what proof it's at. You're going to base it on taste. So okay. if you're running an industrial pot still, you're probably you're probably running off of an established recipe that your boss made for you mm-hmm. and you're so you're you're measuring okay so the alcohol is at 65% we're going to start our heads or our hearts here and separate that out but if you're running a home still you're not going to be able to do that usually okay all right so i have questions is there a way to test for methanol not at home that i know of okay um, but again if you if if you're the one who fermented the product and you're the one who put it in your still, I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's okay. like I said, it's going to be in your cider or your beer or whatever. Anyway, if you're uh, willing to drink almost your beer, impossible. you be willing to drink your whiskey. Yeah. It's damn near impossible to get a lethal amount or even a slightly dangerous amount of methanol in your spirits. Okay. All right. My other question is what are the variables? Like you talked about like people in Scotland were like denting their stills or maybe they're fermenting mm-hmm. for beer. I don't, I don't remember what they were denting. Um, it was the stills, yep. Okay. So it's like, does the taste and all of that change like based on how quickly it came to a boil versus how quickly it didn't? Is it like, like what are the, I assume there's just like a million variables and that makes it fun. Yeah. So I kind of want to hear about them. There's so many variables that this is like an active area of study in like industrial distilling. We mm-hmm. don't know all the chemicals that are in whiskey for example i'll I'll use whiskey (laughs) as an example because that's where flavor matters Mm -hmm. the most for a lot of people Mm -hmm. like when you're fermenting something what kind of yeast you use matters a lot what kind of grain how much of each grain and yeast doesn't just produce alcohol Mm -hmm. depending on how like people use the term stressed depending on how stressed out the yeast is like how perfect the environment is for the yeast it's going to produce different chemicals how its day at work was and stuff yeah basically (laughs) If you ferment at a different temperature or if you have too much sugar in your wash, that's going to affect the flavor. And if you use a different species of yeast, et cetera. But, okay. um, and then when it's in the still, all those different chemicals that that yeast made, and there's a lot of them, and also things, things that were just in the, in the grain, not even things the yeast had anything to do with, mm-hmm. all of that comes off at a different temperature at a different time. Some of it will come off in the heads, like I, I mentioned acetone. Um, there's also some fruity tasting compounds that will come off in there that the yeast made or that were in the grain. The the variable there is the fermentation, I guess. Okay. The next one would probably be, so you probably noticed that most people make their stills out of copper. Yeah, I think so. I knew the pipes were, but yeah. Yeah. The reason for that, aside from the fact that that's probably what you can get at a hardware store when you're making moonshine Mm -hmm. is there's also some sulfur compounds that kind of give the, spirit a weird taste or smell and copper supposedly does a pretty good job of stripping some of that out huh so the more copper contact you have the vapor has and you're still the better okay for flavor at least we're kind of getting away from fuel alcohol here but that's for that's that's okay mm-hmm. it seems like we've kind of mm-hmm. fuel alcohol is a good base fuel alcohol you want to run it as high proof as you can mm-hmm. I, ideally don't put anything more than 40 percent in your still if you're running it in your kitchen because it's for safety reasons mm-hmm yeah, you just want to get as high a proof as you can. That's the main thing. You want yield. Uh, but for flavor, the like I said, the amount of copper contact, 
the shape of the still matters because of something called reflux or passive reflux. Oh, I get uh, that. <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke about okay heartburn. Anyway, I mean, there's, uh-huh. it's it's similar in a still, weirdly enough. But like, okay, if you want to get more into the difference between a pop still and a reflux still later, we can. Uh-huh. But basically, a reflux still is something that does does this on purpose. A pot still, depending on the shape of it and the temperature around you when you're distilling, mm-hmm. uh, some of the as the vapor is going up and before it even gets to your condenser, some of mm-hmm. it is going to condense and fall back down. Okay. And some of it's going to condense and stick to the side of your still, and that's going to interact with more of the vapor. That changes what chemicals come through. Usually the more volatile chemicals will come through when that happens. So y'all are nerds, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Absolutely. I love so, that hobbies have like weird deep divey shit. So people like care about what percent of their vapor is coming down the sides and stuff because of how it changes the taste and, and other things. Mm-hmm. Cool. And like I said, people That's didn't cool. know how this worked before. They would literally just mm-hmm. say, well, that, that I know that still makes some really good stuff. Let's just beat up this still until it looks like that one. Yeah. So <laughs> Now, you also don't have to get this nerdy with it. You can just buy a cheap Amazon or a, a, mm-hmm. a, even a – there's a, a good company purifier. called Still Spirits that makes a home still. You can buy one of those, throw your mm-hmm. sugar wash in, mix it with some flavorings, and you got booze if you, that's all you want to do. Yeah. But, I'm a nerd about it. So, yeah. No, I mean, it seems like the kind of thing where, like, I always go at things at two levels. I like first just like do it. And I like don't want to get nerdy when I first start. I just want to like, fuck yeah, I made some. Well, I don't want to do this because whatever. But like, I made some rum or whatever, right? I just want to do it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, that's when I want to like do it the same over and over again or like compare the different things. Um, and, and so a lot of the variables and stuff aren't going to matter if your goal is to just have rum and you don't care if the rum is consistent because you're not a commercial exactly. thing. And it's more about it being fun to try and create the, the consistency. You may still want to get nerdy with the cuts, though, because yes, not for safety you don't reasons, acetone. but oh, okay. even if, you're just make, if you just even if you just want to get some rum made and try it, mm-hmm. if you don't bother taking cuts at all, it's going to taste awful. Okay. So at least put it in the jars and taste it and see what's best. So that's the, okay. as nerdy as you want to get for your first go. That's what I did. That's as nerdy as I got for my first run. What um, what was your first run? What would you recommend if if they're different? What do you uh, what do you uh, like making? Honestly, for your first run, just do a sugar wash because mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna throw that away or use it for fuel anyway because you want to do a cleaning run. Uh, if you got your you're still on Amazon, or if you made it yourself, you want to make sure you get anything that could dissolve in alcohol out of there, like any flux or solder or whatever. Oh, and also make sense. sure you're using plumbing solder, not leaded solder, that sort of thing. But yeah, um, but, okay. Uh, after that, the first thing I did was rum because it was kind of easy. All mm-hmm. I had to do was just figure out a way to ferment molasses. Okay, and I live not too far away from a place that makes molasses. So it was so fairly like, cheap for me to get molasses? a big jug of it. And, Hell yeah. Hmm? Okay. But for your first go, you're probably going to do a sugar wash anyway. And I'd recommend turning it into gin because it's not going to taste great on its own. So. Yeah. I was going to ask, okay, so like in my head, every hard liquor is like the distillation of some soft liquor. Why is it called hard liquor? There's no other. All liquor is hard liquor. Is that wait? It's 
if it's distilled, it's hard, I think. I don't know. It, okay. So different legal definitions. Yeah. So like in my mind, whiskey is like beer that you take too far. Brandy is wine that you take too far. Not too far, but further. But maybe I like run out because I actually don't know what rum is. It's apparently made from molasses. Uh, is oh, anything anything uh, any sugar cane product? Technically, a sugar wash, I think, is rum. Okay. Um, so sugar cane. The easiest way for me to get sugar cane concentrate is in molasses from the store. So molasses is just burned sugar, right? Uh, molasses is just concentrated sugar cane juice. Um, so okay. fancy molasses is that. Blackstrap is they they boil it to get all the sugar out of it, and what's left over is blackstrap molasses. So it's like a, a byproduct at that point, basically. Huh. That's kind of cool. I like weird byproducts. Stuff. People will probably figured it out by now. Okay, what's vodka? Is it potato liquor? Uh, vodka. A lot of people think it's potato liquor. But it's really just neutral grain alcohol. Um, oh. Okay. So it's basically pretty much anything you make out of a, a grain. Potatoes are used for a lot of mm-hmm. in a lot of places is what they have a lot of. Yeah. Um, but it's just anything that you've distilled up to above ninety five or as high as you can go, and then you water it down to a drinkable forty percent. So you're trying oh, to get rid of as many impurities as you possibly can and make it as neutral as you can. That's vodka. Okay. All right. Then what's whiskey? Uh, you're pretty much on the money when you say it's just distilled beer. Um, yeah. You wouldn't want to put hops in it because it won't taste very good. And you don't okay. need to preserve it anyway. But uh, it's yeah, it's just any anything that's um, any distilled fermented grain. Okay. So whether it's corn or wheat, barley, whatever. Is there like a secret distillers only alcohol that you like can't get in the store? I guess moonshine is this. Okay. Well, then what's moonshine? Um, it depends. A lot of different people have different definitions. Like mm-hmm. I, I read a thing about this on the home distillers forums. There's a whole hobby forum for this. Mm-hmm. Um, their way of saying whatever you consider moonshine is moonshine because it's just any illegal alcohol. Traditionally, yeah. I think it's just an unaged corn whiskey. So just fermented corn, basically, and then distilled. Okay. But like, okay, so in my mind, there's got to be like a a type of – like you know how if you like – people who grow food often eat different kinds of foods that you can't get in the store, right? Or like people mm-hmm. are like, oh, there's all these fruits that you don't even know exist. You know, um, because you go to the store and there's like only certain things. Yeah. Is there like a hidden liquor? Is there like a distiller's liquor that, I mean, I guess moonshine is the closest to this, but like. Well, uh, probably the only one, and it's it's more for, because it's cheap than anything, but sugar shine. No one, like mm-hmm. big companies aren't making sugar, sugar washes. Because mm-hmm. um, mostly because at that scale, grains are cheaper than sugar. Yeah. But yeah, sugar shine is probably the closest thing to a secret distiller's only. Um so like I said, that's, that's when you take a sugar wash, you distill it out and it can be kind of good. Uh, it, it tastes like a sugar bowl smells. Oh, Does that makes sense. I don't, I tend to turn it mixer. into something else, but yeah. Oh yeah. It's basically a vodka at that point. If you're doing it right. Is there an overlap or like a hatred between the groups of hobby distillers and the people who are really into like mixed drinks? No. Uh, mostly because anything you anything that comes out of a home still, you're probably mixing it into a mixed drink anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> it's not my long term goal is to make something that is good enough to sip neat, like to sip just no ice, just out mm-hmm. of a glass. I haven't gotten there yet. All right. How the stuff that you're making, how headachey, hangovery, blackouty is it? Are you doing like pretty good on that level? I'm doing pretty. It's no worse than the commercial stuff for sure. Um, oh. Yeah. Cool. There's a couple things that aren't exactly 
distillers only, but they're less common for people who aren't alcohol nerds. Um, one of them is absinthe. Yeah. Okay. What's absinthe made of? I know, I know there's like wormwood in it. That's all I know. Yeah. So absinthe is so it's a neutral spirit. You mix mm-hmm. some wormwood and anise, usually uh, some mm-hmm. other herbs and stuff in it, and you then you distill it again after it's been soaking in that for a day or so. Oh, interesting. And then you color it with more wormwood or fennel or something to uh, give it a, give it a green color, or you can just leave it yeah. white if you want. All right. My other question is how much work is it like how much like raw stuff to make a little bit like you you mentioned that people distill maybe flower essences or some other essential oils is that what you said yeah i know that essential oils are an incredibly like like you got to grow a field of lavender in order to make a vial of lavender essential oils right how Okay. Essential oils is a very different process that I haven't mm-hmm. gotten super into, but from my understanding of it, you're really just using your still to boil water at that point. You're using it to steam to extract the oils. Oh, okay. So that you're getting very little product, I imagine. Um, but for alcohol, if you make like a standard batch that you would make in like for like a beer or a wine, like a 23 mm-hmm. liter or I think six gallon, mm-hmm. you're probably going to get two or three bottles, like standard size bottles out of that. Oh, well, standard, like, like, like 750 mil bottles. Oh, okay. So you could either have 24 beers or two bottles of liquor. Yeah, basically. That's not And so that bad. also depends on how strict you are when you're taking your cuts and stuff and whether or not you're taking the cuts. Oh, one thing you can do with the cuts, by the way, I forgot to mention mm-hmm. this earlier. If you're doing a pot still, you can take that and put it into the next batch to get a little bit more of the good stuff out of it. Okay. So you're going to increase your yield as you go, basically. And if you make like whiskey and if you make like flavored alcohols, can you still mm-hmm. use them as fuel alcohol or is it like not so good? You can as like long as you don't water them stove. down, yeah. Sure. Okay. I, I think you want to keep what, your alcohol above 75% if you're using it for fuel. But if you're just, if you're drinking it, you probably don't want it to be 75% in general. And how do you measure the alcoholness, the gravity? Is it still the same? It still uses a hydrometer or whatever, even though it's like super alcoholic? You have to get a different hydrometer. It is the same mm-hmm. thing. Um, but you have to get a hydrometer that's made for measuring proof. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And this hydrometer will not work in your beer. You can't proof out your beer using this because there's particulates in the beer that will affect your measurement. But if you're putting it in a spirit, it'll work. Okay. I every now and then get really annoyed at living in the United States. And this is one of those moments. <laughs> um, I'm like, it sounds fun. It just doesn't sound cost benefit fun. Um, yeah. So I do enjoy mm-hmm. the cheap alcohol aspect of this, mm-hmm. but only if I don't think about how much time I spend on it. Oh yeah, no, totally. It takes like an entire day to run the still. Yeah. It's ah, to get your day. like two bottles. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's not not even worth it from that point. But it's a hobby, not a not a job. So. That's why if if they ever come accuse me of selling alcohol, I'll just show them the math. It's not worth it. (laughs) Okay, now is it fuel efficient, right? Like if you, I know that you shouldn't do it over an open flame, but Mm -hmm. it's the apocalypse and you have to. Do you have to spend, do you have to burn more fuel alcohol to make, like do you get a net gain of fuel alcohol or do you get a net loss of fuel alcohol? I have I've never tried to run it over an open flame. So yeah, I don't, don't know. do it. I'm just curious. But okay, I will cool. say it does take a fair bit of power 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you'd actually get a like back in the day they used to do it over like a wood fire. Yeah. So yeah. I, I imagine probably because they probably don't want to take their moonshine and pour that in a big bucket and light that on fire to to use that instead. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess there's other things that people would like to burn more than okay. Mm-hmm. Um I think that like answers most of my questions about about distillation. Is there something like ma- amazing that I'm I'm missing or anything that you like do you want to give people some more practical information on like where they can, where or how they can get this stuff with, if, oh, it's, yeah, le- if it's legal in their area? Yeah. Um, I've done a little bit of, I pulled up a few things on this. So yeah, uh, one of the common things that people will get is a still from Still Spirits called a Turbo 500. Okay. It's like a somewhat modular, cheap-ish. It's like $550 still. Okay. Um, it's kind of an all-in-one set. You just kind of plug it in and go. For the most part, you got to have water running through it, but okay. Oh, it's electric. So if you're trying, yeah, it's electric. Yeah. So you don't have to like put it on a stove. That makes so much sense, and it never occurred to me when you're like, oh, you don't have to put it over open flame anymore. I was imagining putting it on my like electric stovetop. No, great. Okay. Uh huh. Oh, I, I I have done that with my first still. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a pain in the ass. I wouldn't recommend it. It's yeah. A bit fiddly on a on like a typical coil stove because mm-hmm. you got to balance everything on top of the that little coil. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, so the, Turbo Five Hundred. Yeah. So that's a fairly common model. It's under a thousand dollars. If you if you live in an apartment and you just want to have the ability to do this, should it ever come up, if you need some sanitizer or just want to make mm-hmm. some, a small amount of vodka, or if you want to use it to, for its intended advertised purpose and purify water, you can get mm-hmm. a air still for under a hundred bucks usually. What's an air still? So you don't even need water for this. Mm-hmm. You you put. I'll, I'll actually describe what you're supposed to do with it. You uh, fill it with water, your tap water. Mm-hmm. You plug it yeah. in. It'll boil that water, and it'll use a fan and like a an air cooler on the top to condense that back into water. Okay. So it'll distill water. And okay. it'll do the exact same thing to alcohol if you let it. Okay. If you use it against its intended purposes. Like if yep. you were to use a bong to smoke weed instead of tobacco. Exactly. So Yeah. yeah. Um, now, some people don't like them because there's a lot of plastics in making them, and people are iffy about having alcohol vapor touch plastic, understandably. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, if you just want to, if you're making hand sanitizer or fuel, it's a great option to have. Like, it fits under your counter. It's the size of a coffee maker. It's. Okay. And you can put for tobacco water. use only on it, and then people will, yeah. Yeah. And then um, people will try to put tobacco in your air still and be really confused. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's, and then the option that, if you're getting really into fermenting, you're probably going to end up getting at some point all-in-one grain brewing system is what they're called. So it's okay. – have you ever seen those like big coffee crafts they have at like churches and, uh, and like food banks and stuff or um, soup kitchens and stuff? I like think the so. big cylinder, stainless steel cylinder for coffee? Yeah, it looks yeah, like one looks of like those. A, um, uh, one of those robots from Doctor Who. looks like a Dalek. Kind of, yeah. Okay. So it's it, – it, uh, the all, so the T five hundred is also very similar to that, but it looks like one mm-hmm. of those. It's um, it comes with like a filter and stuff to filter out your grains from your beer before you turn it into beer. Okay. Um, and the, a lot of the companies that make those will include little clamps on the side, so that if you wanted to, you could go buy uh, whether it's a T five hundred condenser, so you could buy the condenser separate, or make your own condenser. You can slap it on top of that, clamp it down, and they ha- now you have a still. Okay. 
So that's actually if you're if you're getting really into fermenting, I'd recommend you get one of those anyway because if you're going to be doing any beer, any grains, you're going to want to have that. Right. And if you ever decide you want to make a still, you already got your boiler. Okay. Okay. Those can be a bit expensive, but I think they're worth it, especially if you're making a lot of beer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every hobby starts at the $100 level and then immediately goes to the $3,000 level once you want to do it well enough, you know? Yeah. You, 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 can, get the, you can get these all-grain brewing systems for less than 1000 as well. Um, okay. And also, if you want to make whiskey, you're going to be working with grains anyway. So. Yeah. So it's the exact same sort of thing. You're making a beer up until the point where you put hops in. Okay. Is the Turbo 500, is that what you use? No, uh, I, I went the route of getting a uh, of getting the grain brewing system. Well, oh, actually, I initially I went the route of getting the cheapest still Amazon had, hating it, modifying it, throwing all of that away, and getting what I just mentioned. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how I would do it too. <laughs> yeah. I got a couple of neat things out of the out of the stovetop still, but I eventually wanted to get something a bit bigger and a bit safer. So yeah, that went yeah. that route. Yeah, I imagine the cheap ones just like are they just like pressure cookers with some like copper coming yeah, out of the top? They're essentially just pressure cooker stills with a coil and a like the coil condenser that I mentioned I hated. Mm-hmm. So my first modification was getting rid of that and replacing it with the Liebig condenser. Yeah. So I made my own Liebig and it worked, but it wasn't I had to tie it to my cupboard to keep it from falling over. So it's kind of there's only one real object that's people need. I mean, there's like ways to do it modularly, right? But there's not like a lot of different little. There's also importantly uh, two different types of stills. Mm-hmm. So most of what I've been talking the about pot. Yeah, the reflux in the pot. So I've been talking a lot about pot stills. The mm-hmm. T500 is a reflux still, although you can modify it to be a pot still if you want. Okay. Um, and you can also get some cheap modular uh, reflux stills, which is what I got to put on top of my. Um, grain brewing system um, if you want to make vodka if you want to make something that tastes very neutral or if you want to mm-hmm. make something that's a very high percentage you need a reflux still oh interesting because so it's if you kind of re it's like multi it's doing like it's, almost like multiple passes of a distillation at once basically exactly yeah so you could sit there all week and just run your product through a pot still 20 times mm-hmm. or you could put it in a reflux still once yeah that sounds better okay it's also safer because I don't know exactly why this is the case, but the hobby community's rule of thumb is nothing more than 40% in the pot. Okay. So the highest you're going to get out of that is around 70 or 80%. Which is higher than I normally imagine wanting alcohol anyway. Like I'd be watering down anything over yeah. uh, any over but, 50% anyway, personally. But but if you, if you, but if you want to make gin or absinthe or anything that starts with a neutral or a vodka, mm-hmm. for example you're going to want to go up as high as you possibly can, which is the highest you can go is about 95. Okay. Because Just the higher, the higher you go, the less flavor you're getting out of it. Yeah. Which actually suddenly making me think of Everclear and like the reason that I keep Everclear in my house is, um, is for like preservation and like uh, herbs and tinctures and stuff, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is something that I hadn't even, we didn't, Maybe you mentioned it in the list of things, but I'm only just now thinking of it's like one of the other reasons that would be really useful for people to have it's access to One of the to reasons to I got it. So where I am, yeah. we actually can't buy Everclear mm-hmm. because, of, you know, to protect us, oh, I guess. Half the states are the same way. Um, yeah. I, I, but the thing is, I wanted yeah. to make orange liqueur is one of the first reasons, first things I thought of when I got into this. I wanted to make orange liqueur, but I couldn't find Everclear. Yeah. So 
like wow. make Everclear. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That seems like that would be even more rewarding. Like I feel like trying to like learn how to make like a signature whiskey would be like fun, right? Mm-hmm. But what what seems rewarding is making some ninety five percent proof stuff that you can like use as a mixer or use to preserve things and make medicine and like make things last a long time. But I'm also obsessed with making things last a long time. And you can make sanitizer and medicine and stuff like that with uh, with what comes out of a pot still, mm-hmm. but it's going to be more effective. Well, it's going to smell less bad on your hands, I guess, if you're making hand sanitizer. But you actually do want to water it down to 70 anyway. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and is making hand sanitizer basically just make 70% alcohol and then you like put that on your hands or is it like are you using like um uh do you like gel it up like what do you do i mean if you if you're just trying to get something get some cheap sanitizer yeah you just make 70 or 80 percent alcohol and put it on your hands you could mm-hmm. mix at aloe vera or lotion or something in there to make it you know oh, less harsh but mm-hmm. okay well is there any uh any any last thing we're missing or a question that i should have asked you um, I don't think so. Uh, the last detail I wanted to get in there was make sure you don't try to use 100% or 95% alcohol as sanitizer because it doesn't work as well. Seems I like think a lot of people learned that hands. around COVID though. So. Oh, okay. And then the one weird thing I know about hand sanitizer is that hand sanitizer is very good for certain things, but if you live off grid and you put it in your outhouse or whatever, it doesn't do any good there. Hand sanitizer is effective for Oh, my doctor friend will be mad at me if I don't get this exactly right. But it's not good for the fecal oral transmission route. Um, it is good for like stopping colds and stuff. Now, I didn't know that because it, when, when I go camping, every outhouse I see has hand sanitizer on it. Oh, yeah. So. And you know what? It's great. It uh, it stops other stuff that is unrelated to what you just did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Still yeah, good to no, have, but... Uh... Yeah. Kind of a false sense um, of security there, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and if you have other safety practices in place for your off-grid uh, bathroom, then you should be good in terms of distance from your kitchen. And But more importantly, like, if this is a completely just a PSA, um, if you're setting up some kind of, like, outhouse space for a lot of people in your campaign or whatever, you're going to want to set up a hand wash station that uses soap and water um, because that is what stops transmission of things along the fecal oral route and i don't remember what the thing that the word for what hand sanitizer does is but i think it's the breathy any type stuff is what hand sanitizer is good for i hope i got that right and if not do your own research don't listen to some girl on the internet who's interested in everything and not good at any of it uh also uh one last note the same for this stuff don't don't listen to this podcast and then immediately buy a still yeah, uh, there is a lot of information, like hobby information online. Um, there's uh, the Home Distillers Forum. There's a couple YouTubers that make content about this. So get your information from more than one place. So. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything you want to shout out or plug? Either something that you do or something that you want other people to pay attention to here at the end. Beyond what I just said, no, I don't really want to be found. So. Cool. Don't have anything to plug. Um, I just wanted to, you know, make this yeah. information available to people. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it, and thanks so much for reaching out, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, why did you keep listening? Was it that you set it on in the background and then went about your day and have been like sort of angry the whole time that you've been walking your dog or driving that you're still listening to it and you wish you'd been listening to something else? If so, don't tell me about it. But if you did like listening to it, you should tell other people about it. You should tell people, live like the world is dying. And people will be like, what? And you'll be like, sorry, it's the name of a podcast I like. Don't actually do anything different about the fact that the world's ending. Just go about living your life. And then people will be like, you're exactly the kind of reason that we don't like listening to Doom Say. Okay, so if you like this podcast, you can support it by telling people about it. That's the single biggest thing that you can do. You can also support it by supporting us financially on Patreon. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness because this podcast is put out by strangers in a tangled wilderness, which is an anarchist publishing collective that puts out podcasts as well as books and zines and a bunch of stuff. And we've been around for almost 20 years. We haven't been doing podcasts that whole time because there weren't podcasts when we started. Instead, it was mostly zines for a while. But in particular, I want to thank first and foremost and always Haas the Dog. And I want to thank Micaiah, Chris, Sam, Kirk, Eleanor, Jennifer, Starro, Kat, Jay, Chelsea, Dana, David, Nicole, Mickey, Paige, SJ, Sean, Hunter, Theo, Boise Mutual Aid, Milica, Paparuna, Allie, Paige, Janice and Odell, Oxalis, Jans, Funder, Anonymous, the names start getting really interesting more recently, uh, Ben Ben, Princess Miranda, Trickster, and Lord Harkin. Sorry, just it, it, it's the only way to pronounce that, I think. All right. I'll talk to you soon. I'm going to go eat fucking dinner because I've been recording all day. Jesus. Which was months ago now by the time you're listening to this. Why are you still listening to this? You should hit stop. There's not any like big secrets that I'm going to reveal if you keep listening. I'm just going to tell you what I ate for snack, which was that I air fried some frozen potatoes and thought to myself, I wonder if I can make my own frozen potatoes. I wonder if that's what I can do with old potatoes before they go bad. If I don't eat them in time, I wonder if I can cut them up into little shoe fries, string fries and put them in a freezer bag and then put them in the deep freezer and eat them later. Why are you still listening? Bye.